In the middle of March, we're going to celebrate the 11th anniversary of Pope Francis' elevation to the papacy, where he became the successor of Peter, the 266th man in 21 centuries to hold that job. And during these 11 years that he has been Pope, uh, our Holy Father Pope Francis has tweaked some things on the church's calendar and added some feast days. July 29th for decades has been the feast of St. Martha. And yet Pope Francis decided that it will be the feast of Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead in the 11th chapter of John, July 29th. The day after Pentecost, the finish of the Easter season, the birthday of the church, has now been proclaimed by Pope Francis as the feast of Mary, the mother of the church. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. The next day we celebrate Mary, who is our mother, just as on January the 1st, we commemorate Mary, the mother of God. But the Holy Father also took the very nondescript little blip on the radar screen known as the third Sunday in ordinary time today and made it Sunday of the Word of God, Sunday of the Word of God. Why is that? Well, all too often, I think Catholics buy into the criticisms that come to us from other Christians. All Catholics are Christian, not all Christians are Catholic. But we often are criticized by Christians from other denominations because we do not bring a Bible to church with us. And yet we have all the readings that you hear at the Mass in the Blue Book, the Breaking Bread right in front of you. Some of you come here uh, armed with apps or things like the Magnificat. Some of you bring a Sunday Missal, whatever the case may be. There's plenty of God's Word coming in here in various forms. But it's also the case that the Mass is a biblical prayer. Most of the things that I say to you in the prayers of the Mass, the Eucharistic prayer, the glory of the creed, most of the things that you say to me and we say to God are all drawn from the pages of Scripture. Now, you're obliged to come in Mass on Sunday, but there's Mass every day. Every day of the year, there is a Mass in the Catholic Church, including in this parish. And if you were to commit yourself to come to every Mass for three years, you would hear 90% of the New Testament proclaimed in your presence in the Mass. And so maybe we don't bring our Bibles to church, but the Word of God is all around us. And it is in every Mass, wherever and whenever it is being offered. And that is with good reason. The Bible is the greatest story ever told. It's His story and it's our story. It explains where we come from. It explains where we're going and how we can overcome sin, Satan, and death in order to reach our final destination, which is a new beginning with God and glory in His kingdom. And as far as stories go, the Bible is a swashbuckling adventure with wars and intrigue, adventures by land and sea, a journey through time, but it's also a love story, a romance, and it's a tearjerker. It's a story of God who creates everything out of nothing, but chose the least of his people, Israel, to be the greatest, and yet they rejected him, and then they rejected his son, and then they killed him, but God never stopped loving them. If anything, on the cross, in this romance that is the Bible, God proves that he loves his people to death and to new life. And that is why this story continues to draw people in, as it has for all throughout the centuries. And we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But to give you a great example of the stories that are contained within the covers of Scripture, look no further than Jonah, one of the shortest books in the Bible, just three chapters. And if all we ever heard was today, chapter 3, we would say, Jonah, you deserve a pat on the back. You did exactly what God told you to do. You went to Nineveh, told the people to repent. They repented and the whole city was spared. And yet this isn't the first time that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. 
If all we heard was this, we would think he was as ready and willing and able as the apostles in the gospel today when Jesus calls them at the very beginning of Mark to go and call people to repentance and to prepare for the coming of his kingdom. But rather, when God first said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, give them 40 days to change, I'm going to destroy them. Jonah, he didn't feel unworthy. He was just unwilling. As far as he was concerned, if God is going to destroy Nineveh, I want a front row seat. That's something I would love to see. Jonah hated the Ninevites. All of Israel despised Nineveh. Why? Not just because it was the largest city in the world at that time, but because it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, who over the centuries invaded Israel and Judah more than once, always ransacking the temple, killing thousands of people, taking the men back to their home country to work as slaves in exile. Jonah thought Nineveh deserved to be destroyed, and he didn't understand how they could be forgiven. Their men weren't circumcised. They weren't even Jewish. They weren't part of the covenant. They didn't even believe in the one God. He wonders not only why would God forgive pagans, but how can God forgive pagans? The Bible answers that on every page. Nothing is impossible for God. He needs Jonah to understand he made everyone. He chose Israel, but he made everyone. He loves everyone. He wants everyone to know him. He wants everyone to experience his mercy and forgiveness so they can share it with each other. But so great was Jonah's resistance to doing God's will. Instead of going to Nineveh, which was northeast of where he was, instead he booked a ticket on a ship to take him to Tarshish, which was the furthest point in the other direction he could go on the planet. While they were out at sea, there's a terrible storm. A terrible tempest comes upon them. And those pagan sailors said, some of you, one of you at least, is offending the gods and they're seeking to destroy us. Jonah was the only stranger on that ship. They fingered him for it. He didn't even try to hide it. He said, yes, yes, I'm offending my God. But rather than give in and say, let's turn this around and go to Nineveh. Instead, he said, just throw me in the sea. It was a death wish. He was willing to commit suicide. He would rather die than have to do God's will if it meant that his enemies might be forgiven. And then, of course, as legend has it, he is swallowed by the fish, not eaten. It's not dinner. It's preservation. It's protection. And when he spit out on the shore, it's not Tarshish where he wanted to go. It's Nineveh where God planted him for this one mission, call those pagans to repentance. And even though the Ninevites had no fear of Israel or Judah, they had great fear of Israel's God. And it says that from the greatest to the least, from the king down to the last person, all of them were wearing sackcloth and ashes. Jonah's mission was immediately and completely successful. So much in contrast to the many prophets who went to preach repentance in Israel and Judah, those who were circumcised, those who were chosen, those who were part of the covenant, they never repented. They were always stiff-necked and hardened of heart. But it was God showing Jonah and through Jonah generations to come that he would offer salvation to the Gentiles as well. Jonah's reaction, he just prayed for death. He didn't get to see the destruction he wanted. Instead, he got to see God's mercy on display. Hopefully all of us experience that all throughout our lives. And then hopefully once we've been forgiven, we become forgiving. But now let's get back to the Bible. To all those who say that Catholics don't know the Bible and that we have only a casual relationship with the Bible, I want to share with you on this Word of God Sunday just how much impact the Catholic Church has had on Scripture throughout these three Christian millennia. It is no secret. God wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit, who is God, inspired human authors to record these stories for posterity. So once again, we could know where we come from and we could find out what's in store for us. Where are we going? Where is God leading us? And the Catholic Church was critical in this effort because there were so many different books that claimed to be of God, that claimed to be scriptural. 
And it was the fathers of the Catholic Church in the age just after the apostles that determined which of these competing books actually were inspired and which were not. What created a harmony about all these stories tying together? And thus it was that at the Council of Rome in the year 382 AD, Pope Damasus I published for the first time the list of the books in the Bible as we have them today, 73 in total, 46 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. What's more is that he then told St. Jerome, the greatest biblical scholar of his time, I want you to take the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, translate it all into Latin and put it in one volume. Why? Because that was the language of the world, the Roman Empire at that time. The Holy Father wanting more and more people to be able to find God's word accessible in their lives. Those who didn't know Hebrew, those who didn't know Greek. It's all Latin to me. They would all be able to get on the same page. They would all know God's great mysterious love for us. Pope Damasus went further. Up until that time, the Bible was just a series of scrolls. You had all these scrolls that you have to unfurl and figure out what it was that you were reading. He was the one that put it all in one book so that everybody would be able to find easily God's word readily accessible for them. As soon as Jerome finished translating the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin, then they started using that Latin to translate God's word into all the other known languages of the world at that time, lacking one thing, a printing press. There was no way to mass produce God's word. What did they have instead? Monks. Monks were some of the few people who actually were taught to read and write. And they would spend their entire life, day in and day out, hours every day, copying word for word, line by line, the sacred scriptures, so that more and more Bibles would make it to more and more places in the world. Sometimes they invented new languages. Sometimes these monks invented new alphabets. In the year 836 AD, look no further than St. Cyril and Methodius. They developed the alphabet that is still used in Russia today. Why? So that they could spread the gospel, the word of God, God's promise of his love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But what about chapter and verse? St. Paul didn't write the Corinthians and say, as I said in my first letter, chapter 9, verse 11, it was correspondence. We don't do that. That came later. That came in the year 1205 AD. An English cardinal, a Catholic named Stephen Langton, took all 73 of those books and broke them down, chapter and verse, for the purposes of study and scholarship. And then finally, yes, the printing press in the year 1450. A Catholic, Johannes Gutenberg, what's the first book he mass-produced with his new printing press? the Gutenberg Bible, a Catholic Bible sent out by a Catholic so that Catholics might know and get their hands on God's Word. And so maybe we didn't bring our Bible to church, but the Catholic Church has stopped at nothing to get a Bible into your hands in hopes that one day God's Word may enter your heart. And now I'd like to call forward the catechumens and candidates from the RCA for their dismissal. <clears throat>